Hey friends, I hope you're all staying as safe and healthy and comfortable as possible, and that you're taking care of all the people and pets and plants that are important to you. Last weekend we were dog-sitting for our niece, and that meant that, in addition to walking our dog, Lola, I was also simultaneously walking our niece's dog, Breezy. Fortunately, the two girl dogs get along well, but I still found it tricky to walk two dogs on two different leashes. Now, as you can probably imagine, there was a lot of hand swapping on my part and letting the leashes out and in in order to attempt to get the two dogs to walk an appropriate distance from each other so the leashes wouldn't get tangled. Anyway, I'm, I'm walking along with the two dogs and all of a sudden both dogs make a beeline for a bush. And out of this bush flies what looks like a morning dove. And this bird flies right by me. And I pull the dogs out of the bush by their leashes and we start walking and I look over at Lola and uh, there must have been two birds in the bush because, because Lola has a bird in her mouth. So I shout, Lola, drop it! And she does. And then I walk away with the dogs as quickly as I can. And I, I don't look back because I don't want to know if the bird didn't make it. So I don't know. Maybe the moral of the story is uh, a bird in a dog's mouth is worth two in a bush. I don't know. Folks, you are listening to the People Are the Enemy podcast. I'm the host of the show. My name is Andy Mascola. Hello! There are no ads on People Are the Enemy, and there is no Patreon set up for it. If you love the show, and if you'd like to help support it and myself monetarily, and get yourself or the reader in your life some wonderful fiction, please consider purchasing any or all of my books. I'm the author of 10 self-published novels that are all available worldwide in both paperback and ebook formats via Amazon. And if you don't use Amazon, you can purchase all of my titles in ebook format at Google Play. Just search my last name, which is spelled M-A-S-C-O-L-A. That's how you'll find me on Google Play. If you've already purchased any or all of my stories, thank you, thank you, thank you. I sincerely appreciate your generous patronage. And with all that out of the way, here's the quirky theme song. Hello, People Are the Enemy listeners. This is episode 292 of the People Are the Enemy podcast. Thank you so much for checking it out. To quote Roxanne Chante, as I want to do, you are now rocking with the best. You found it. Should I trash talk lesser, more staid and... Stale podcast? Should I trash talk at all anymore? I'm not a competitive person by nature. I know it. When you listen to this opening, you must think, boy, this guy. 
really thinks highly of himself, for one thing. And for another thing, he really thinks less of these other podcasts. Well, no. In actuality, I'm, I, it's all bravado. That's right. That's the sound of the police. That's the sound of the beast. Thank you, KRS-One. Let's take it down a little bit here and get into it. Can you drop it back gently? Gently. Easy. There we go. Yes, that was the instrumental of Sound of the Police by Mr. KRS-One of Boogie Down Productions. You remember when KRS-One appeared on that REM song, radio song, it was called? It was kind of cool. If only because it kind of... It kind of was... Um, the alternative rock world saying, hey, we're okay with hip-hop. And in my mind, it was like, all right. The two things I love most right now, these two worlds are, are colliding and collaborating. It's kind of wonderful. Then Henry Rollins appeared with... Didn't Henry Rollins appear with Ice-T? Or maybe that was Perry Farrell. Yeah, but then and then there was a Judgment Night soundtrack, which paired all those alternative rock bands of the early 90s with hip-hop acts. Not a memorable movie. I didn't even see the movie, but it was like Sonic Youth and Cypress Hill were on a song together. I think De La Soul was on there with somebody else, but yeah. It made me feel good as a kid. I was like, yeah, all right. I am not alone. Hey, we lost Pee Wee Herman, folks. I know. It sucks. I was a huge fan. I think I saw Pee Wee's Big Adventure three times when it was in theaters as a kid, and that was very unusual for me. Because number one, I was probably, shoot, I was probably 11 years old. I didn't have a job. But uh, I begged my mother to let, take me to see it. And oh my God, it blew my mind. I love the fact that someone so funny and silly and immature could be subversive. You know what I mean? I didn't I didn't think that at the time, but obviously in retrospect, that was the appeal. It was like, oh yeah, this guy is uh just he just knocked over a bunch of motorcycles and these bikers are gonna probably hurt him badly. But instead he jumps up on a on a bar and starts dancing in these crazy high heel shoes to tequila. And instead of becoming furious with the guy, they all embrace his, his silliness. You know, and it was kind of wonderful to watch, like... It was kind of wonderful to watch something something that represented innocence and humor and absurdity and goofiness kind of win out over you know, over, you know, the, the seriousness of, of the world, you know, and the, the, the folks that, that tend to take themselves too seriously. It was like watching a, watching a childlike man win by, by re remaining innocent and retaining his innocence and basically exploiting his innocence in a way. It was kind of wonderful. And, uh, 
I'll always love him for that. And I'll miss him. I was a big fan. I think I saw, like I said, I saw the film Pee-wee's Big Adventure, I think three times in the theater when I was a kid that summer. And it was just circumstance, actually. It was initially, again, I think it was begging my mom to take me to, to the theater to see it. And then... And then it was like my cousins were going to go see it, and they said, do you want to come? And I was like, I've already seen it, but I'd love to see it again. And then friends, I think, in my neighborhood were going to see it as a group, and I went to see it with them, and yeah, and I loved it. And then as soon as it came out, you know, on, on videotape, I was, I was right there to watch it. I wanted to play this clip of Paul Rubens on uh, Conan from some years back. This is a... A clip I absolutely adore, and uh, after I, I saw it, I never forgot it, and um, whenever I talk about Pee Wee Herman or Paul Rubens with other people, I'd always tell this story, um, but I'm going to let Paul Rubens tell the story now, and I'm, I'm going to play it for you. This is Paul Rubens appearing on Conan, Conan O'Brien's program again some years ago, and this is a, a story about him as a child having a, a a toy tea set and playing with that with his father. Check it out. I had like, you know, a little kid furniture, like a little sure. chair and a little table and stuff. So I went and filled up the teapot and set out like a little, little, uh, what do you call it, saucer. Mm -hmm. I'm getting so excited. Just, yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, my dad came up and he sat down on the little uh, chair mm -hmm. and uh, he did the coolest thing. I poured him a cup of, I mean, it was water. I poured right, him, right. poured him a little thing in a little teacup and he put it up and he blew, he went, that's nice. And yeah. I thought, I have the coolest dad in the world that he would, like, pretend that they're the tea. So, that's nice. So he drank the tea down, mm -hmm. and then he went, this tea is unbelievable. Did, who made, you made the tea? I was like, yeah, I made, ah. So he, like, he drank three cups. Right, so right. emptied the pitcher right. and, and said, is there more tea? Because if I don't have any more tea, I'm going to freak out. I have to have more tea. Right. So I ran, filled the pitcher up, came back. Three more cups. It only right. three cups was all it took. So three more cups. Mm, delicious tea, Paul. Is there any more tea? Yeah, there's more tea. I ran and got, finally after four trips to fill up the thing, I came back and I said, Dad, no more tea. I'm sorry, we're out of tea. And he said, what do you mean we're out of tea? I said, the toilet's empty. <laughs> I thought that was so sweet and so funny. I hope you like that. Rest in peace, Paul Rubens, man. I'm going to miss that guy. Whenever there's trouble, we'll sell the double. We're the Blackout Gang. If you've got the crime, we've got the time. We're the Blackout Gang. You know what I realized this week is that I, I have no idea... <laughs> Or I had no idea what a tuna melt is. We, uh, I, uh, <laughs> we had this, uh, book club meeting at work. And, uh, I was put in charge, myself and a, a, another woman were put in charge of this book club. And, uh, this past Monday was the first meeting of the book club. And, uh, we were given tickets for lunch, meaning that we could go to the cafeteria and get get lunches this way on the uh, on the company. And I'm not used to doing this. I'm used to bringing my own lunch to work. 
And uh, first of all, it was it was awkward. It felt really awkward to stand in a line waiting for food at like a <laughs> in a cafeteria. You know, you're kind of just like I didn't know how to stand. I, I was like holding my arms by my side, you know, and I felt really self-conscious. <laughs> I don't know. I know that sounds awkward, but I just felt so out of place and odd standing there, you know, just looking at the back of the person in front of me's head and just like thinking to myself, oh, okay, uh, you know what you want, right? And I'm thinking to myself, yeah, I know what I want. You know what kind of bread you want? Because he's going to ask you what kind of bread you want. I'm like, yeah, I know, I know. And you know what you want on the sandwich, right? And I'm thinking, yeah, I know what I want on the sandwich. (laughs) And again... This is something people do every day, all the time, uh, but I don't, and it was just very strange for me and very awkward. And uh, I looked at the menu and I saw a tuna melt, and I was like, all right, it's like it's like a tuna sandwich, Andy. You like a tuna sandwich, right? Yeah, yeah, I do. I like a tuna sandwich. Well, what do you like on it? Well, I like lettuce and tomato and pickles and onion. You know, I'm, again, I'm having this conversation with myself in preparation to speak to the gentleman who's going to make me this tuna melt. <laughs> And I get up there, I realized I had I had no idea what a tuna melt is. Like I have I had I had no idea. Cause the guy's like, what kind of bread you want? <laughs> I'm like, uh, I, I said, uh, I'd like a wrap. I said, okay. And then uh, he said, uh, American cheese? And now I know American cheese, obviously, and I said, yes. And I love American cheese. I think it might be the thing I love most about America. Oddly enough, I think they should make our flag out of American cheese. It's wonderful. You know, that white, like, Land O'Lakes uh, American cheese. I, lo- I love it. I, <laughs> people might say, like, you have no taste. <laughs> or uh, how pedestrian of you. Maybe, but uh, I don't know. Works for me. I love it. So I'm waiting for the guy to ask me, like, what else do you want on that? You know, and I'm thinking to myself, I like lettuce, I like tomato, I like pickles, and I like onions. You know, <laughs> but he doesn't ask. And you know why? It's because that's not what a tuna melt is. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm a 48-year-old man who has no idea what a, a tuna melt is. No, honestly, all a tuna melt is is just a cheese melted on tuna, you know, in bread. That's it. Which was fine. It was fine. I just... I guess I'm glad they didn't push it further and say, like, aren't you going to ask me uh, what I want on it? <laughs> I did consider it, but then I said, I said, I, I better just uh, go with the flow and act like I know what I'm doing here, which I obviously didn't. Speaking of work, you know, I got bit on the head twice at work today by mosquito. Today, this week, rather. I was sitting in my cubicle. And a mosquito bit me twice on the floor. I'm like, this isn't supposed to happen at work. <laughs> I'm getting bit by a mosquito at work twice in the same place. Ouch. I have to assume it was from a plant, you know. Boy, oh boy. I'm not going to comment on Lizzo. You guys, listeners of this program know I love Lizzo. And uh, I am, uh, you know, I... I I've been reading the accusations, and I've watched clips of uh, these folks who worked for her talking about, and if you don't know what I'm talking about, I'm talking about there's accusations of um, of shaming and abuse within the Lizzo camp, meaning the, uh, the live 
programs and the dancers are accusing her of certain things. And, uh, yeah, I don't want to believe it. Of course I don't, you know. you got If you have a person you love, you know, you obviously don't want to believe it, but I'm also, you know, I'm also realistic, you know. I understand that, you know, your heroes sometimes um, can let you down. And I'm, I'm not saying that she did. This is all alleged at this point. And I'm hoping, I'm hoping she comes out on the, the better side of this, you know, and that these allegations are, aren't true because I love Lizzo and I want her to win. And I don't know if this is a career killer or if this is just a bump in the road. If they are true, if these uh, allegations are true. But uh, regardless, you know, innocent until proven guilty, right? So we'll see what happens. I'm going to uh, I'm going to hand things off right now to our friend Rachel from Des Moines, and she is going to give you the chart chat. So, without any further ado, take it away, Rachel. Thanks, Andy. Hello, and welcome back to Rachel's Chart Chat for another week. Thanks to all who listened last week, especially everyone who commented or posted about the segment, such as Jeffrey, Sherry, Jill, Tavy, Bob, and Andy. This week, we'll start off with our 70s chart from July 21st of 1973. At number 94 is Brothers Gonna Work It Out by Willie Hutch. This was from the soundtrack of the movie The Mac, and Willie Hutch did the whole score for the movie. The album made it to number 114 uh, and number 17 on the R&B side, and the song itself made it to number 67 pop and 18 R&B. Uh, Willie was born William McKinley Hutchinson, and he started off as a performer, as a singer and musician. And then uh, in the early 70s, he got a job with the Motown label, working as a producer and a songwriter, as well as a ranger. And he uh, did this soundtrack in 73, and then he did the soundtrack of the movie Foxy Brown in 74. His biggest pop hit was Love Power in 1975, but he had many R&B hit singles. And the song title is referenced by a Detroit techno pioneer Blake Baxter in a song of his from 1993. And that was later sampled by the Chemical Brothers in 95 for their song Leave Home off their debut album. And that song appears on the snowboarding video game SSX3, which is where I first heard it. The song was also referenced by Public Enemy, though in their version it was plural brothers rather than the contraction of the brother is. At number 79, we have Blockbuster by The Sweet. That would make it to number 73. So yeah, they were still credited as The Sweet until 74. This was their third charting single in the U.S., and I included it because it was the source, it was one of the songs sampled in that Doctor in the TARDIS from 88, and the chart position kind of surprised me. Um, it really hit number one and across the round the world, and you know, it even made it to top 40 in some places, but here in the, in the States, it was stuck down in the 70s, but it is always exciting to have the sweet or sweet pop up on our charts. At number 57 is Over the Hills and Far Away by Led Zeppelin. That would make it to number 51. This was the lead single off the band's fifth album, Houses of the Holy, which is known for the cover art by Hypnosis. 
with the distinctive rock formations of the Giant's Causeway in Northern Ireland, and it said that the album art references Arthur C. Clarke's Childhood's End. Uh, this song, Over the Hills, may be pretty well known, or people know the tune, but they don't know the title of it. And maybe we all had a guitar playing friend who learned this one and used to play it on acoustic guitar. At number 49 is a song called Soul Makosa by the group Afrique. And also at number 37 is the original version of Soul Makosa by Manu Dubango. Uh, his version made it to number 35. Uh, they both spent nine weeks on the chart. The, the Afrique version entered the pop charts first, but they both spent uh, the same duration of time. Uh, the original was written and performed by musician Manu Dubango in 1972, and he wrote it to celebrate the Cameroon's national soccer team making it into the quarterfinals of the Africa Cup of Nations tournament, which was also being hosted in Cameroon for the first time. The lyrics are by Cameroonian poet S.M. Eno Belinga, and the song was made popular in the States, specifically in New York City, uh, by David Mancuso, who is known for his loft parties, and DJ Frankie Crocker of the radio station WBLS. And the song became so popular, and the original recording was so scarce, that over 23 groups released their own cover versions. So that kind of explains why a different group beat the original to our U.S. charts. The, the Makosa refers to a genre of Cameroonian music. And the song's refrain would surface again 10 years later in Michael Jackson's Wanna Be Startin' Something, which is coincidentally at number 5 on our 80s chart this week. And I picked Soul Makosa for the coincidence and because I think it has an interesting story, and it really is a cool song. And I will put, this is, you've been listening to the original, but I will put both versions on the playlist so you can choose. Uh, before we leave 1973, I want to mention Deep Purple at number 7 with Smoke on the Water, which I know everyone had a friend who could play that riff on guitar. The song was based on a true story and it would eventually hit number four, tying their previous peak of Hush from 1968. Moving up to the 80s, we're in July 23rd of 1983, starting off at number 87 with Lady Love Me in parentheses one more time by George Benson. That would make it to number 30. The song comes from George Benson's album In Your Eyes and was co-written by David Page and James Newton Howard. Page played keyboards on the song along with his fellow Toto member Jeff Porcaro on drums alongside legendary session bassists Nathan East and George Benson himself on lead and backing vocals and solo and rhythm guitar. I would say this song is a must-listen if you love key changes. Um, it's just a really, really another really solid outing from George Benson. Very enjoyable. At number 62, we have a song called China by the group Red Rockers. That would make it to number 53. Uh, Red Rockers were a group from New Orleans who started in 1979 as a punk trio. And they were known for whoever punk bands came through New Orleans, they'd open for them. They also toured around Louisiana and Texas opening for The Clash. But by 1983, they had changed drummers and found a more commercial sound with their album Good As Gold, which has China on it. And this would be the band's only Hot 100 appearance. Uh, they broke up in 85, and Red Rocker's lead singer went on to co-found the band Cowboy Mouth. When I listen to this one, I feel like it has a good, familiar sound. Maybe a little bit like Psychedelic Fairs? I don't know. It feels like it could have been in an 80s movie. Next up is a couple that I think may already be known. At number 24 is Saved by Zero by The Fix. That made it to number 20. This is the lead single off of their second album, Reach the Beach which was followed by One Thing Leads to Another, which was the bigger hit, but I've always preferred this one. 
When I was in college, there was a local 80s cover band called Save by Zero that played some of the campus town bars, and maybe that influenced my love for the song, I don't know. And the song is a reference to a Buddhist mantra, and it re reflects on the concept of having nothing to lose. That was from Wikipedia, I learned that. At number nine is Stand Back by Stevie Nicks. That would eventually make it to number five. This is the lead single from Stevie's second solo album, The Wild Heart. Wikipedia states she has, quote, often told the story of Stand Back's creation. She heard Prince's Little Red Corvette on the radio and was so taken with the sound of the song, particularly the synthesizers, that she started composing her own lyrics and tune inspired by the melody. She recorded a demo in her hotel room that night, which happened to be her honeymoon suite with new husband Kim Anderson. Sidebar, don't marry your dead best friend's surviving spouse out of grief. Don't do it. She recorded it in the studio about a week later, and Prince played on the track but was uncredited, though the two split publishing royalties 50-50. This was her first top 10 single truly as a solo, as Stop Dragging My Heart Around and Leather and Lace were both duets. Of note, Little Red Corvette is still on the charts after 22 weeks. Also from the 80s, I wanted to mention that at number 7 and 6 respectively are Our House by Madness and Come Dancing by The Kinks, which I have long suspected are the same song. And they've also both been on the chart for exactly 12 weeks. So can science explain that? Probably not. Moving to our next 70s chart, we're in July 28th of 1979. And just a couple for you here. At number 89 is a song called Children of the Sun by Billy Thorpe. This made it to number 41, just missing the top 40. Billy Thorpe was born in Manchester, UK, and his family moved to Australia when he was a kid. He started performing at 10 years old as Little Rock Allen. He continued touring and performing as a teen and young adult, finding much success in his adopted home of Australia with the group Billy and the Aztecs. The song Children of the Sun comes from the album of the same name, his first after moving to the U.S. It is described as basically half a concept album on side two. And I remember this song from growing up listening to classic rock radio, and it was also memorably used in the 1979 set season two of the TV show Fargo. And the album and the follow his follow-up album, 21st Century Man, both hit the U.S. album charts. And finally, from the 70s this week at number 31 is After the Love Has Gone by Earth, Wind & Fire. That made it to number two. This was the second single off of their ninth album, I Am, following Boogie Wonderland, which was credited to Earth, Wind & Fire and The Emotions. After the Love would go on to be the group's second biggest pop hit after Shining Star, though they topped the R&B chart eight times. The song was written by David Foster and Jay Graydon with lyrics by Bill Champlin, and was kept from the number one spot by My Sharona. Uh, according to the Billboard Book of Number Two Singles by Christopher Feldman, I learned that fact as well as the band considered this one of their big musical achievements and one of the band members even described it as their Abbey Road. Well, that's all from me this week. Thanks so much for listening. Back to you, Andy. Thank you, Rachel. Awesome stuff as always. This has been episode 292 of the People Are the Enemy podcast. Our theme song is Walrus Love by Nokia Ocean. You can find that song and more at pizzapuppies.bandcamp.com. My name is Andy Mascola. You can purchase my novels via Amazon and other online book retailers in both paperback and ebook formats for as little as $1.99. Thank you for listening. Thank you for subscribing. Thank you, Rachel from Des Moines. We love you. Peace. <laughs>